in the Old Testament about David had messed up really bad. He had disobeyed God, and then there was a judgment, and a bunch of people got were killed by a plague. And uh, God said, if you want the plague to stop, you got to take care of your mess. And part of taking care and cleaning up your mess, David, is you have to, I want you to go to this specific guy, and I want you to make a burnt offering on the threshing floor uh, of this of this certain guy's house. So he goes there, and the guy's like, oh, King David, oh my word, yes, you can use our threshing floor. Here's a bunch of ox, here's a bunch of you know animals, here, take all these sacrifices. And David, in his famous, this famous line for many people, it says this, but the king replied to, a, no, I insist on paying for it, David says. I insist on paying for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them, which was a fair amount of money. See, I would say that love's not love unless it's hard to do. You know? Sometimes it's the other person who's the Gary, and sometimes I'm the Gary. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. What were you gonna say? What does love look like, right? Yeah, yeah. people have no idea. You make contact with God, all of a sudden you know your love. But, you know, this is, uh, yeah. This has a lot to do with forgiveness. When Jesus is at the cross, forgive me, Father, commit up on me. That's true. I love them no matter how awful they are to me. Yeah. I still love them. Yeah. They don't understand what they're doing. So, right. in my in the world that I understand, when it comes to love, it seems like it deeply connects into forgiveness. Yeah, forgive the person who's hurting you. Okay, sure. So, by definition of what we read, would forgiving someone be a sacrifice for you? Yes. <laughs> Kind of fits under the heading, then, doesn't it? If you will. One aspect of it. Sure. Yeah. But you need a reason to forgive someone. And if there's no reason other than love, you're going to forgive somebody. You have to love them to forgive them. Yeah, uh, I would. I would agree. Look at that little question in my voice there, do it. Because sometimes I know the right thing to do here. It's just not here. How many of you ever found that sometimes I'm supposed to forgive that person? But I hope they slip on the ice and you know <laughs> whatever you know what I mean. <laughs> Not me. I would never do that. But some people I've heard. <laughs> but you know, forgiveness and sacrificing and love. And I think this is why it's so important. If you go back just a couple verses to those verse nine and ten, he says, Jesus says, "I love you with the same love that the Father loves me." <laughs> so there's this like 
super holy, powerful, if you will, triangle between God, the Father, Jesus, and us. And then for good measure, he throws in the Holy Spirit. And I would, I would say this, that I don't know how to love that way in myself. But I have a pretty good idea that there is someone who does know how I should love other people. Who do you think that is? It's two words. The second one is spirit, in case you're wondering. <laughs> See, Holy Spirit is our counselor and our guide. And it will lead you into all truth and all righteousness. He's going to do it. And man. So, when you have that thought in the store of helping an old person put a heavy case of water in your car as you're walking out, that's love. Love, it depends on the person. It comes in various forms, yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's true. It's interesting, though, going to make it uncomfortable here for a second, but in, in, in the word here it says, uh, willing to lay down his life, his soul for his friends. In the Aramaic, it's talking about how much I have loved you, verse 13, for the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this love is, everybody say it with me, demonstrated. Demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. And that word in the Aramaic, willing to lay down his soul for his friends. The very essence in our soul is our, our mind, our will, and our emotions. <laughs> Again, the Gary's in our life, we don't want to love them. <laughs> but God says, listen, sacrifice, that's a sacrifice. Do you realize that it is such an opportunity, too, for us? Because in heaven, we won't have this opportunity. Right? It's not, it's not the same. It's a whole different ball game, if you will. You know, one of the things I struggle with greatly is the mask mandates that are, I think, are arbitrary and can, are destructive for a lot of people and everything. And I just, the science that I read doesn't seem to match the overness of all that. So we won't go into all that other than to say, when I go into a store, I still, and the kids, you know, we still get a mask. We're not going to fight it. Why? Because most of the time when I wear a mask, I'm certainly not doing it for myself. Who am I doing it for? I'm doing it for other people, right? So me putting on a mask, if you will, is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of love for them. But this phrase, willing to lay down his, his life or his soul for his friends, in the Aramaic, that word friends actually means family and relatives. Oh. <laughs> How many of you find it's easier to love other people and less familiar, if you will, to love even those closest to you? Yeah. I mean, our family was different. We never had any fights in between the siblings of anything whatsoever. <laughs> if you're listening, Scott and Stephanie. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's the people closest to you that rub you the, the worst way, isn't it? Husbands, wives, kids, fathers. It seems to tie directly to me into conditions okay. that we place on others. Mm-hmm. And the love of speaking of is unconditional. So there's no conditions that I can place on you that come from me. Sure. 
Otherwise, you're going to have to live up to my standard, and that's, yeah. that's just not going to work. Because you can't live up to your standard, let alone making somebody I else live up to your standard. I demand something sure. that I can't live up to. Yeah. That's the principle of law. Right. Me, is sure. Law is, is death. Law is never able to completely be fulfilled. Yeah. It's really good. It's really good. The, the, the key, I believe, though, is written right. Jesus tells us right here. He just finished telling us in verse 9, you must continually let my love nourish your hearts. I would say when we're trying to love people, our hearts have to be nourished by him. Otherwise, it just becomes a religious or self-righteous ritual, right? So then going on, verse 14, he, he takes it a little bit further. And uh, uh, let's see, Mike, did you read it? Verse 14, would you just read that? Sure. You show that you are my intimate friends when you obey, obey all that I command you. Okay. Well, he did it again. You've seen it several times, but look at this verse. He ties in the love intimacy with the obedience. I mean, we talked a little bit about this the last few weeks, but a lot of Christianity is trying to obey without the love. And then there's other people that have all the love and don't do any of the obeying. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like, like there, there's a, There has to be this... I think, Mike, you referred to this a couple of times, the sweet spot. <laughs> right on the bat, when you swing a bat and you hit a, a ball, there's a place on the bat that's the perfect place of strength and force from the batter and the position of the ball, and usually, you know, good things happen when that happens. And I feel like, for the most part, Christians tend to fall, universally, they tend to fall into the obedience, doing the right things, you know, saying, you know, but if, but if you don't have love, you know, like it says in Corinthians, First Corinthians thirteen, it's a, it's a clanging gong, right? It's just like it's abrasive noise without love. Go ahead, Sal, you're gonna say something. I said love. First Corinthians thirteen. Yeah. <laughs> I know that verse, I just can't remember it. I get that all the time. <laughs> yeah. I was paying you to memorize verses. I want my money back if you can't remember it. Okay. <laughs> oh. Okay, Susie needs that one. Okay. Hey, keep your finger here in John 15, and let's jump to 1 John. 1 John 3, 16. First John 3, 16 to 19, we're going to read. So, again, while you're going there, let me just, you know, it's pretty obvious, but we're in John. He's John the Beloved. He's one of the, the three top disciples of Jesus. He writes the Gospel of John, but he also writes other books after Jesus is gone for the New Testament believers in the church. And I think that John, being the Beloved, God really has chosen him for a reason. You know, because there's some kind of love thing that God made into John that makes him not only loved, but to understand what it means to love others, right? Uh, so, uh, let's see. Uh, Sally, you want to go ahead? I guess. Um, nice and loud, babe. This is how we 
Keep going. Okay, so just hold there one second. So John takes this sermon that Jesus is teaching them on, on the Last Supper here, right? And he he lives it for, it's possible it was like 30, 40 years later. And then John writes these words in First John. like, uh, uh, How many of you think he's been chewing on it for a few years, right? So he says, this is how he discovered love's reality. I love that. I love that that phrase. We have discovered love's reality. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. Now we are supposed to do that for each other, right? He expands on it. And then even verse 17, even more, if fellow believers are in trouble and we don't do anything and we have the means to help them, but we choose not to, he's like, how is it even possible that God's love lives in him? Verse 18, Vernon, do you want to you take over there? 18 and 19. Oh, dear, <clears throat> dear children, let us not love with words or tongues, but with actions and empty truth. But in 19, both, yeah. That, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in the presence. Again, you want to take your spiritual temperature? He tells you right here. <laughs> I love in the Passion, it says, love can't be an abstract theory. It's a great choice of words. I love that. It's got to be something tangible. And I don't know, I'm as confused as you are sometimes with what does that look like and how do I do it? So, I say this. I say, Lord, help me. You said the helper... Holy Spirit is my helper. Help me know when to love and how to love. I have a pretty good idea that if we ask God and are willing, He will tell us how to do this. Right? It's pretty powerful. The uh, some of you know Benny Hinn, and I know he's kind of a uh, controversial character for some people, etc. And uh, I'm not going to go into all that other than to say I, I do believe he's a man of God. He's had some ups and downs, etc., like most people. But there's power there. I've been to some of his rallies and stuff. and There's something there. But all that to say, he wrote a book when he was first kind of getting going called Good Morning, Holy Spirit. And it's a. I just read some of it last night. And it talks about how Benny learns how. He's, he's telling a story. He's a new Christian. And he doesn't really know Holy Spirit. Like... In most churches today, even right now, Holy Spirit is, they call him the third person of the Trinity for a reason, because you got Father and Jesus, dot, 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 and Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, what's that Muppet movie my kids and I watch all the time? And uh, there's one of them where the, the bad guy has a, has a henchman that's with him, and he goes, <laughs> he says, the bad guy says, I'm number one. And then he goes, space bar, space bar, space bar, then you. <laughs> you know, like, it's me, and then way down here is you, even though you're numbered. And sometimes I feel like in the church, people go, 
Jesus and the Father. Space bar, space bar, space bar. Holy Spirit. Like, like we kind of relegate him to this, you know, thing that we're not comfortable with. And I feel like, how many of you feel like you want to go like this and bring Holy Spirit right back into the Trinity and let's have a group hug. Let's bring it in, you know. Like, I don't think they realize that. They don't realize they're doing it? Well, they don't understand the Holy Spirit. Well, this is the thing. It's And again, I'm just going to say this, offend a bunch of people, but the American church is so arrogant. We think we know how to do church. And, and I, I believe a lot of what the prophets are saying, that part of this great awakening that's coming to our country is really the church is going to get slapped around. Because we've left Holy Spirit in a tangible way out of everything we do. And, and he's gentle. He doesn't really force himself on us. I mean, he comes. They have Pentecost, they're up there going, hey, come on. Whatever this Holy Spirit is, I don't even know what it is. Jesus told us to go here and wait for it. Ten days all of a sudden, Holy Spirit shows up. I would say this. Let's give Holy Spirit more chance to move in our lives than we actually than we actually do. If you ask, He will come. I believe that. If we ask Holy Spirit to come and guide us. You know, how about this for a prayer? You think God would answer this one? Holy Spirit, I really don't know what I'm doing. You know? You know, I was thinking about you this week, Josh. Josh has done some great love on people recently. He's done some great things. Then that person possibly didn't respond correctly, let's say. And and here's the thing. We don't know anything. We don't have all the details. But I know this. Just because you love doesn't mean everything's going to turn out on the door. And it does not change the command. If anything, it's a sacrifice when we love somebody who hurts us. Right? To keep loving someone that hurts you. He says, that's the laying down of your life for your friends. And I love how uh, John, in 1 John 3, he says, it's tangible. It's not abstract theory. So we say, Holy Spirit, come and show us. So jump back to John. And John 15. And in 14 and 15 that we just read, or in, yeah, 14, let's stay there. It says, you show, everybody say show, show that you are my intimate friends. In other words, there's, this is how, you know, what does the Bible say? They will know we are Christians by what? I, I think we've got a long ways to grow into that. Would you? No, let's say this. How many of you think there's areas of potential growth? <laughs> you talk to some of these life coaches and stuff. They always talk. About, this is an area of potential growth. I, I think that's really true for myself and the church. He says, "But you show you are my intimate friends when you obey some of what I command." <laughs> Bible, <laughs> Jesus. Seriously, I have to love, I have to obey all your commands and you're commanding me to love Gary? <laughs> you know what I mean? All. We have a... so nice about this book, sorry. Oh, that's good. See, I'm pretty, like, callous. And I, I try to, like, uh, do the do the things externally which aren't internal yet because fake it till you make it kind of works. Yeah. yeah, act it out, and then yeah. if you don't have it inside, you keep acting it out, and along the way, you may yeah. feel it inside. So, 
but like when it tells me to love your God and love others, I, mm-hmm. if that was the end of it, I wouldn't really know how to do that. But uh, it's nice to know that you know, there's a the beginning of loving God is fearing me. So now, hey, now I know how to love Him. I gotta obey Him and fear Him, and we can start there. And then it's not where it ends, but at least mm-hmm. I know where to start. Right, and I think there's there's something. There's something to getting up and getting moving. There is. I also think declaring things that are not as though they were, as it says in Romans. In other words, instead of just doing the right thing, I would say, let take the Word of God, and this is, this is really hard to do. It, it's harder than you think. To take the Word of God and don't let it be for someone else. Let it be for me. So here's the thing. When I read a verse that I'm not experiencing that, then it, then it turns into a faith. In other words, I take the promises of the Word of God and I say, Lord, you said it. And you said you want me to obey all your commands based on intimacy. So Lord, I am intimate with you. I speak life over myself. I speak life over my situation. Uh, declarations are insanely powerful. Because they really are words of faith. And an action of faith, yeah. But that was my story when I came to the Holy Spirit. Because I was born again for you know, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And I heard the message over and over again. Knew that it was real, but wasn't experiencing it at all. Yeah. It just wasn't real. I was tired of faking it. So that's what it was happening. Yeah. trying to fit in and be a part of this culture that I wasn't experiencing personally. Yeah. And I remember I went to work for a Christian company and they, the believers were strongly of the Baptist Christian. Okay. So we had some heated discussions about this. I felt like I was an authority. I wasn't. Mm. And I knew at that point that I had to have something personal if I was going to be able to connect with this Holy Spirit that I knew about that I did not know personally. Yeah. So I made it this mission for me to read the book of Acts mm-hmm. over and over and over. I must have read it 30 times. Mm-hmm. And just kept reading it over and sure. over and over until sure. finally a Jimmy Swagger conference sure. came to Milwaukee. And as his custom was on Sunday evenings, it was always his mission to offer an experience with being filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm. And uh, I remember sitting up in the stadium. It was at the um, Milwaukee Bucks arena before they built a new one. Way up in the nosebleed section. Been there. (laughs) Yeah. I remember what side it was on. And when that invitation happened, Mm. I received the book of the that can only go yeah. so long. Before it had to be something supernatural that 
came inside me, transformed my life. And it was the word of God that was the key that unlocked that experience. You know, that is a good word. And I, I we're going to take a little detour this morning. It's not like we don't ever do this, so I know you guys are <laughs> you're probably used to it by now. But this week I was, I, I, uh, it's the best way to say this. I've been challenged in the glory of God. Do you remember the story? Uh, well, it's all through the New Testament, or the Old Testament and New Testament. But, you know, even all the way back to Moses. Do you remember in Exodus 33? Where Moses, you know, he's he's with all these knuckleheads that they just brought out of captivity, and they're they're, let's just say they're not easy to work with, right? So I want to just look at a couple things in the Old Testament. It's not on the screen. Uh, we're going off uh, off trail just a little bit, but I feel like this is part of part of the whole the picture of it, right? So Moses in chapter thirty three. <laughs> this is. It's just crazy, the whole story. I encourage you to read the whole thing. And uh, God has brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery, and he's got them in the wilderness. And, you know, they're, that's just, they're, they're a bunch of Garys. All of them are <laughs> It seems like all of them are Garys, right? They're just these really hard-to-work-with people. And and God finally gets to the point in early in chapter 33, in verse uh, 3, 33.3, which is my my number. <laughs> Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, God says to Moses, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. So, <laughs> just, <laughs> I know parents sometimes feel that way. Like, I, I think I'm going to take you out. Like, I remember a comedian once in the old days says, this kid sounds him and he looks at me and goes, listen, Junior, I brought you in this world. I can take you out. <laughs> like, like there's this thing that sometimes parents get so frustrated with their unruly kids or whatever. And I feel like as the father, he's like, listen, I, I'm trying to protect you because you guys are really not choosing the right thing. And so it goes on and it talks about Moses in the tent of meeting where he would meet with God in this special quiet place. And in verse 11, it says, uh, well, actually, verse 10, Moses would go up to the tent, and the pillar of cloud that was leading them would go and hang right over the tent. So Moses has this cloud over him as he's going in to talk to God face to face. And again, I would just reiterate, even great men of God and even Jesus himself had to get away to this place of intimacy where God shows you stuff that he wouldn't if you don't go. It's kind of the fasting thing, too. Like, I say this all the time. We're going into a fast, and I found this. Things happen when I fast that don't happen when I don't fast. Yeah? And things happen when you pray that, that don't happen if you don't pray, right? There's just these levels. And God is always wanting us to go to a deeper level of intimacy with him. So God has told Moses, I'm not even going with you. And Moses is like, you have to go with me. You rescued them. <laughs> you know, they're my people only because you're my God and they're your people. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? So it's interesting. Get to verse 10. Moses goes into the tent. Verse 11, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Is there anything in your heart that goes, I really want that? 
say it over and over, but the Bible says and God says about himself that he's no respecter of person. Moses was a chosen one, yeah. But as we're going to see when we go back to John, we're, we're chosen too. God, every one of us has the opportunity to move into that place. And it's interesting, when he would get done, it says that Moses would return to camp, but his young aide, Joshua, was learning how to go after God too. And Joshua would go into that tent and not leave. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that you can look at someone and say, I don't want to be them, but I want what they have. I say this all the time to God. I'll say, Lord, I don't want to be, you know, Bill Johnson or Ben Nehem or any of these guys. I don't want to be them. I want what they have. You want to get something like this? Read the story of Catherine Coleman back from the, I think it was 70s and stuff, right? In that book, Good Morning, Holy Spirit, Benny Hinn writes about him going to a Catherine Coleman rally, and it just rocked his world. It changed him forever. And this idea that Holy Spirit was so intimate with Catherine Coleman that the night Benny was there, she screams out almost like crying in agony, and she puts her hands out like over the huge crowd. She says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And she kept yelling this, and it was it was one of her refrains. And she and then she says this: "He's all I have. Don't grieve him. He's all I have. This I I I I I don't I've never I'm not there. I'll just be honest with you. I'm not Catherine Coleman level with the Holy Spirit, but there's a hunger in my heart for that. And I I see that in Joshua. I see that in some of these other characters saying, Holy Spirit." I'm not okay with the level that we know each other. Father, I'm not okay with the level that that we're at. I'm not okay, Jesus, in the level that I know you. There's another place. And even Moses, though he's talking face to face with God, look at the next verse, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. I, I look at that verse and I think it's a precursor to Jesus giving Holy Spirit to his disciples. In other words, this life, even the good things of God, you can't do on your own. If I'm going to love people, you've got to send somebody with me, God. I can't, I can't do this in my own power, right? So listen to what he says. He says, you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said to Moses, God says, or Moses says, you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. In other words, Moses is acknowledging that God has told him that he has favor and that he knows you by name. And as we read in verse 10, they would speak face to face. <laughs> but then he goes on and says, If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know and continue to find favor with you. It ties in really well with John 15, doesn't it? Well, Jesus says, obey all my commands. Okay, Moses here is going, God, I don't, I don't know how to lead. I don't know what to do. You have to show me. You have to teach me your ways, oh God. Then he reminds him again, remember that this nation is your people. <laughs> you can't leave the stiff-necked knuckleheads with me. you got to go with me, God. I can't do this on my own, right? So then verse 15, then Moses said, no, sorry, verse 14 
The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Again, I've told you before, this, I color my Bible with different stuff. Different colors mean different things. Blue is a promise. <laughs> I look at that verse and I think, that's not just from, God didn't put that in there just to tell me how great Moses was. God put that in there so that I would hunger for what Moses was hungry for. <laughs> and I can take that, and I can take it back to prayer and say, God, like Moses, you promised, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Even in the midst of all that turmoil of all these you know, million whatever people of the children of Israel. It goes on, verse 15, Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here at all. See, I, I found over the years that in a lot of churches, we say, Come Holy Spirit. Okay? Never mind, I got it from here. And then they just go off and, and do their own thing, and they have plans, and they do... I wonder if it wouldn't be better for us to create some tents of meetings and wait until God actually tells us what to do and fills us with him enough to say, Lord, I, I, uh, I'm not going to do the right thing until I have the right thing. Amen? He says, he goes on, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Verse 16, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else, and this is, this is the big one, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? You know, the Bible says, even in the New Testament, that we are chosen people. Like, you, you're chosen. We're, we're not just Christians. We're a chosen people, a holy priesthood, right? We're lovers of God. There has to be something tangibly different about us. You know, like this presence and this glory. It has been consuming me this last week. The idea of, okay, God, who I am isn't isn't good enough. I don't mean that in condemning, I don't know my identity kind of way. No, it's in the Moses. Hey, God, unless your presence goes with, I don't even, I don't want to do this. Right? What else will distinguish us? Says verse seventeen. And the Lord said to Moses. I will do the very thing you have asked. Again, in blue in my Bible, under promises. I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Interesting. God says, listen, I'm going to answer your prayers. You spent, you're hanging out with me in the tent of meeting. You want to know me. We know each other. There's intimacy. Take it into the John 15 language. Moses was being nourished by God, right? And it's interesting, when you, when we get that level of intimacy and nourishment from, from God, we can then be bold. Hebrews talks about boldly coming before the throne, right? Look at this next verse, verse 18. So God says, I'm going to give you the very thing you've asked for. Verse 18, then Moses said, now show me your glory. And I always thought that was, but recently I'm like, wow, that's kind of audacious. <laughs> like that, that's pretty, like he's commanding God <laughs> to do something. But I, I guess if it's in here, it's legal. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? So we can say to God, God, you have to show me your glory. 
And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And he goes on to say, verse 22, I'm going to put you in the rock. You can't see my face, like in that full, all of my glory, but I'm going to let my glory pass by you. Verse 22, when my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. You know, God is revealing himself to Moses in a way nobody in history up to this point has had this level of intimacy. What? Well, I don't know. I can't speak for other people. I guess all I can say is, when I hear Catherine Coleman and people like that, I go, they're in a place. Benny Hinn remembers as he was talking about that experience in 1970, whatever, and he said there was a mist around Catherine Coleman as she was on the stage, and he was you know, experiencing this. And I thought, that's the glory, man. That's the presence of God. Just, But, again, we just got a couple minutes. But I want to take us to one more passage that gives us a clue into some of this. First, Second Kings chapter 2. Have you ever read the Elijah-Elisha stuff lately? I would encourage you to do so. It's really fascinating reading. And I especially like Elisha because apparently he's bald or losing his hair <laughs> and got insulted by a bunch of boys. <laughs> we won't go into that story. But uh, I, I just want to read this with you. And there's just one more highlight and then we'll be done for the day. But let, uh, Elijah's getting to the end of his ministry. God has told him to call Elisha to follow him around and train him up to be the next prophet. 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. And uh, where have we left? Did I, did I uh, skip somebody? Miss Sue, when, when you get there, I'll, we'll let you do it. 2 Kings. It's right after 1 Kings. I don't know if you're having trouble finding it. How many of you have the Bible song in your head? Kings, Kings, Chronicles, Chronicles. <laughs> like the books of the Bible. I've never forgot the song. So 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah is getting to the end of his ministry. God's about to take him up to heaven. And Elisha is there with him. So uh, just start with verse 1, if you will, and just start reading. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven from the whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. Okay. Bethel. Bethel, right. So just pause for one second. God has told Elijah, the old guy, he's going to be taken up to heaven. It's going to be done. He's told Elijah to anoint and bring along Elisha as the guy to take his place. But isn't it interesting? As Elijah is going to his appointed chariot ascension, if you will, he turns to his prophet-to-be, Elisha, and says, I'm going to Bethel. You stay here. Does it seem a little odd to you? I mean, he's supposed to be the number two guy. Like, he's supposed to be following up. But Elijah says, no, you stay here. I'm going to Bethel. And well, so, isn't Elisha, he was supposed to see him go up. 
Well, or he'd miss the blessing. Right? Yeah, well, we're, I think, yeah, we're, you're, we're going to get to that here in a second. All right. All right. <laughs> you two uh, are good friends, I know. <laughs> Always trying to jump the gun on me here. But, so, verse 2, Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. You want to keep reading? Uh, and Elisha said, As the Lord lives, as, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take, will take up your master and over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Okay, hold on. <laughs> Shut up. I know he's going. You know he's going. He knows he's going. I don't need, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just think it's funny. Interesting, there was probably three schools of prophets, like whole schools of prophets that Elijah had, had created. They all well, there's, here's the thing. That one at Gilgal, then he's going to Bethel, and we'll see this story repeats itself. So Gilgal, Bethel, and uh, what's the last one? Um, Jericho. All right? So, they're in Gilgal. They're about to, he says, I'm going to Bethel. Elisha, you stay here. Elisha says, oh, uh, I'm not, I'm not leaving you, right? And he says, oh, okay. So verse 3 and 4, these prophets come out from the, 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 the school, prophet school of Bethel, interestingly enough, <laughs> not California, this is in Israel, and they say, hey, he's going to go. And they're like, yeah, we know. Everybody knows. Thank you so much for that <laughs> prophetic word. You know? I mean, it's good. But, you yes, know, know it. just, shut just shut up. Right. So verse 4, you want to keep going? Okay. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Shut up. <laughs> Be quiet quickly. All right. Yes. Uh, can you keep reading? Is that okay? Uh, yeah. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at, the, at a distance from them. As they both were standing by the Jordan, then Elijah took his cloak and cloak rolled it up and stuck it, struck the water. And the water was parting from one side to the other. So the two of them could go over on dry ground. That sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> I, saw, I thought the same thing when I was reading this <laughs> <laughs> When they had crossed, crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken, taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it, it shall be so for you. Okay. Oh, that's right. Otherwise, otherwise not, right? I'm sorry, I jumped but into you some. Not see, yeah. not right. So in other words, isn't that an interesting story? It's. It, let me just throw this out. Most of the time, God wants to know how bad you really want it. Oh, I want your glory, Lord. And I come on Sunday mornings and I worship for 20 minutes and that's it. <laughs> or I listen to a couple of songs. Through. And God is like, okay. You, you get what you put into it. Isn't that interesting? Here's Elijah and Elisha, the chosen 
prophet to be. And three times he's tested as to his perseverance, as to the hunger of his heart. Do you know that at any moment, Elisha could have gone, oh, okay, there's a bunch of prophets, I'll go hang out with them, tell whatever's done. No. He's like, uh-uh, I am, in other words, I'm hanging on to your coattails, I am not going to let go. Right? You remember the story of Jacob, when he's wrestling with God, and he says, listen, I won't let you go until you bless me. Right? Persistent widow, Jesus tells the story in the New Testament. Right? She keeps knocking, 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 knocking. Why? Because she's not going to give up until she gets what she desires. Don't kid yourself for one second and think, yes, I'm going to walk in the Spirit, and yes, I'm going to walk in the glory, and yes, I'm going to you know, have this presence. It comes at a price. How bad do we really want God to move in my life? How bad do I really want to obey Him and love other people? This is powerfully demonstrated because the younger of the two prophets was supposed to do what the elder of the two prophets told him. And here he's defying him. That is awesome in the capital A. Yeah. That is, that is interesting, isn't it? Like, he purposely disobeys his master. Mm-hmm. But the master purposely put up roadblocks to see how bad the kid wanted it. Mm-hmm. You want, you're in a rough time, and things are bumpy. You know what it is? It's God saying, listen, how, how bad do you want me? How much do you trust me? Oh, I, I have faith in God. and Oh, I, I trust God. Really? Because... <laughs> There's going to be tests. There's going to be trials. In fact, speaking of back to Moses and the children of Israel, do you know that the the manna experience on the ground of only picking it up in the mornings of six days and not doing it on the Sabbath? The Bible says very clearly that's a test. By their actions, do they trust me? I'm telling you that, you know, the Proverbs, it talks about, you know, it's the thing of kings to hide a matter And then we're supposed to go after it, you know. The king hides from us. God literally hides from us and wants to know, do we really want him? Or is it just lip service? You know, back to the the John stuff, you know. Is it it just in word or is it in deed? I heard it slightly different. Sure. If God doesn't hide from us, he hides yeah, that's actually a great, great thought. Thanks. Yeah, that God isn't hiding from us just to frustrate us. <laughs> How many of you think that the process of going after God and pushing everything aside and letting all of my false idols and you know, the Proverbs talks about getting the foxes that steal from me and all this, like working through all that junk actually creates a greater glory for me and for him. But when God doesn't make it easy, it's actually for our good. He's hiding for us, if you will, instead of from us. Let's finish this up. I know we're running just a little bit late, but let's finish up, let's finish up this story. Uh, let's see. Uh, Paula, you want to take over there? Uh, let's take it. Verse 11. And they were walking along, talking together, and suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared 
and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha sobbed this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elijah saw him no more. Then they took hold of his uh, then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. Okay, hold on one second. Just throwing this in. I don't know if you caught this. How many of you that would be a fun day if you're Elisha? Probably Elijah too. He gets the, you know, chariots of fire and the whole thing, right? But isn't it interesting? Elisha's there, and that's a fun story, man. Oh, I mean, talk about something to tell your grandkids. <laughs> awesome, right, Elijah? And yet. After it happens, he tears his clothes. In that culture, in that society, what did it mean to rip your garments like that? Anybody? No, mourning. Mourning, sadness, grief. So you see, Elisha is sad that he lost his mentor, even though at the same time he's glad he went up to heaven. And I, I, as I was reading that the other day, I thought of Joe. I thought, you know, and, and Aunt Charlie, for some of the people, I just did that funeral this week. You know, it's still sad for us to lose someone. That's I mean, we see it right here even in the Bible. But we're super happy. How many how many of the people that knew that were, were glad that Elijah went up in the chariot? Like I bet you Elisha was super excited to see Elijah. If, if you're gonna go home, <coughs> go home in a flurry, you know what I mean? Like yeah. You were gonna say something too? No, I oh, okay. just have, I mean to see that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I was uh, listening to a gal, uh, Kat Kerr. I don't know if you guys are familiar with her. Uh, she really, she's been to heaven like thousands of times, and God's shown her a bunch of things. And one of the things she says when you get to heaven, they have like this in your home, and even in other places in heaven, you can watch like a movie, these stories and stuff in the Bible that we only get a good... So, like, can you imagine the best cinematography and the best soundtrack and that that day when you go down to the movie house in heaven and you watch, pull up this one? That would be super fun. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be awesome. So, anyway, he's gone and we'll finish up with this. Uh, verse 13. Uh, Paula, you want to you finish up? And he picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah on his back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. For now is, is uh, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the left, and to the <laughs> right and to the left, and he crossed over. Okay. Isn't that interesting? Each generation has to discover who God is on their own. Mm -hmm. He picks up that cloak, a super cloak, super Elijah cloak, whatever. But he strikes the water. And what does he do? He challenges God and says, listen, I know Catherine Coleman was great. I know these other revival. I know everything. But I, where is the, he's crying out for himself, I think, there. He says, listen, that same God, where is he? And he puts it down and God says, Look, at it. I did exactly the same thing I did for the previous generation. Now you get to go and walk in my power. And if you do a study on this at all, if you count up the miracles and the stuff, Elisha actually does have twice as many, a double portion, if you will, than what Elijah is listed as having. It's pretty amazing stuff. So I know we've run over. Let, let's, uh, let's wrap it up today. Lord, we thank you today for these, these truths, these stories. 
Holy Spirit, I thank you for the insight that you bring and the, and the revelation that comes to our hearts and minds. And Holy Spirit, we, today, right now, we say we want more. I pray, God, for a spirit of tenacity to come over your people, a stubbornness, a I will not let you go unless you bless me, a, a time even in the testing of pushing away this and 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 sounds like we're being said no to actually God you're challenging us and you're strengthening us and you're 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 testing us in our resolve for more and God right now we declare where now is the God of Elijah Lord we say that is the God that is the presence we want the God of Moses the God of Elijah Abraham Isaac Jacob Lord the God of power and might throughout the Old and New Testament, Lord, and even our Savior Jesus, we say yes to that today. And God, I pray that this week we would have a hunger for you and what you are doing that goes beyond anything else in our lives, that everything else will pale in comparison and come up tasting dry and empty, apart from desiring you and your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, let it be so, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah.